Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to be talking about gun control and gun violence. I am Ruby and my co-host is Rachel. So today we're going to be speaking a little bit about uh, gun violence and gun control and human rights and how that relates to the social work field. We are also going to discuss the human rights issue and provide demographic, political, social, and economic context to gun violence. We we will also talk about why this topic is relevant for social workers and how it connects to the NASW's Code of Ethics and other human rights and social work documents. We will also define what global rights issue and some policies exist under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and we will be identifying any cultural challenges that people may face as social workers in regards to gun control. We are going to start here with the March for Our Lives. I shouldn't go to school and expect to be shot. The legislators obviously aren't doing anything. I want to be able to come to school and not be afraid. We have been fighting. We've been fighting since Columbine, since Sandy Hook, since Pulse. So to dive right into our topic, I'm going to begin talking about a campaign that is working towards eradicating a human rights issue. So today I'm going to be mentioning and talking about March for Our Lives, which is definitely a campaign that has been very popular lately, and it's getting a lot of news attention, uh, media attention, and so I definitely want to talk about it and how these children who, who created this are trying to end gun violence. I have known what March for Our Lives is since they started this campaign, but I definitely was able to learn more about what they really advocated for and what they're trying to get past um, in terms of policies. And so they're, one of their main issues is advocating for gun violence prevention. So they, they fund research on, on gun violence, eliminate absurd restrictions, and they are promoting universal background checks. So according to the March for Our Lives website, background checks keep guns out of the hands of people with dangerous histories, and they are the foundation of any comprehensive gun violence prevention strategies. So currently, background checks are actually only required under federal law for sales conducted by licensed dealers. So this gap in this law allows felons, domestic abusers, fugitives, and other prohibited purchasers to actually buy guns from these unlicensed sellers without a background check, no questions asked. So March for Our Lives is really trying to uh, prevent these people who are definitely not safe enough to have guns from actually buying them and obtaining them. So March for Our Lives is also working towards eliminating the high-capacity magazine bans, and they're also working on limiting firing power on the streets. And this is something that I'll talk about later, and Rachel will talk about later, about demographics and where these gun violence um, issues and problems are really occurring. Um, They're also working to provide funding for intervention programs. So this is something as social workers that I believe is really important because if we have more interventions for people who are unsafe um, or people who, who have anger issues, unresolved issues, or really traumatic pasts, this is something that definitely will be helpful for for these people, um, and these interventions will definitely, hopefully, prevent gun violence from happening even more than it already is today. 
March for Our Lives is also working towards disarming all domestic abusers because domestic violence is definitely something that's that's very pre- uh, prominent in the United States and eliminating these guns from these unsafe households will help protect women and, uh, and others from domestic violence. And March for Our Lives is also working to um, end gun trafficking. So having these illegal sellers, like I mentioned before, selling these guns and getting them from other illegal sources is definitely important. The last part of March for Our Lives, their campaign that I think is definitely important is safe storage of guns. So this would mean having lock boxes where only the owner of the gun knows the code to keep you know the way away from neighbors and their children, which is important, and mandatory theft reporting. So that would be if your gun was stolen, you would report that it was actually taken to the police so then they can try to track down the person who has it to prevent any violence from occurring. An interesting statistic is that background checks really do matter. So in Connecticut, when they pass a law requiring handgun background checks for a purchase permit and at the point of sale, the state actually experienced a 40% reduction in gun homicide and a 15% reduction in gun suicide rates. So this is really important because if this is happening just in one state, especially a state that's pretty small like Connecticut, it would definitely be helpful in bigger cities and larger states with higher populations and and higher gun problems. So that's definitely something that this country definitely needs to take into consideration are these background checks and how they will really help the American citizens. According to a study done by the Pew Research Center in October of 2018, the poll found that 85% of Americans actually do support requiring a background check on all gun buyers, including 91% of Democratic voters and 79% of Republican voters. So this statistic really shows that the majority of our citizens in this country are really in support of background checks. So our policymakers and legislators should work on creating, you know, legislation that will help these background checks protect American citizens in their local neighborhoods, homes, and communities. Background checks have blocked more than 3.5 million sales to prohibited purchasers since 1994, but criminals exploit the unlicensed sales loophole by buying guns from strangers through online sites like armless.com. So this is important to know because the March for Our Lives campaign is really working towards eradicating these illegal websites and also um, just funding gun violence research and what really will help and won't. And so really the um, background checks and universal background checks is definitely an important part of this campaign and it's something that social workers should advocate for. So for the next portion of this podcast, I'd like to address why gun violence and gun control is a human rights problem. So according to The Guardian, an article on gun control, human rights, and amnesty, um, American gun violence is a human rights issue because the government is failing to protect its citizens. And so this relates to protecting children in schools, protecting and like any demographic, really, in their local communities, protecting domestic violence victims at their homes. And these these people are not having their right to live free from violence, discrimination, and fear. And gun violence leaves about 38,000 Americans dead 
and 116,000 wounded each year. And that number is really, really large. It affects everyone, but particularly men of color. And this is something that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the podcast, but it's definitely worth noting. In regards to the Convention Against Torture and other cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment and punishment, each state shall take effective legislative, administrative, judicial, or other measures to prevent acts of torture in any territory under its jurisdiction. And I decided to add this into the podcast because I think it's important to note that these gun violence and acts of violence are definitely forms of torture and degrading punishments against humans, and they're an absolute violation of human rights. And I think it's definitely important for legislators and policymakers and local community leaders to really realize that having no background checks and looser gun controls laws is definitely something that needs to be changed because we need to protect these citizens in our local communities from being affected by gun violence in their daily lives and to make them feel as if their rights aren't being violated even though with these gun control laws and the gun violence that happens you know regularly now it's definitely important to note that that these this type of punishment really and treatment is is not okay According to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person, which is Article 3. And this is worth noting because if these American citizens are feeling as if they they aren't secure and they don't have their right to life, their absolute human rights are being stripped of just due to the fear of people inflicting gun violence on them while they're walking around their local neighborhood if it's a little bit past dark. And it's scary because it's affecting not only black men, but it's also affecting others as well in the home and all over the country. So these these background checks are definitely really important, as the March for Our Lives campaign was definitely talking about. According to Article 7 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, All are equal before the law and are entitled without any discrimination to equal protection of the law. All are entitled to equal protection against discrimination in violation of this declaration and against any incitement of such discrimination. So this is definitely important because because it shows that these people whose rights are being violated really deserve not to be discriminated against and they deserve equal protection. And I know that some people who's, who gun violence really affects them aren't getting that, that justice and equal protection of the law. And it's important to note because it, it's affecting everybody across the world, really, and across our country in particular. And It's something that needs to be addressed by local legislators and more campaigns need to be, you know, situated and fixed to to make this this problem go away. And it's really hard for, um, you know, a small amount of people in America to really change this issue. So we have to get the support of all citizens and then hopefully the legislators will be able to make these these decisions to to help. really protect these people against discrimination 
So in regards to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, any advocacy of national, racial, or religious hatred that constitutes incitement to discrimination, hostility, or violence should be prohibited by law, which is Article 20. And this really shows that these people whose rights are being violated should be protected from violence, and our country is not doing their job by protecting its citizens from gun violence right now, especially when we're considering all of these school shootings that have been happening, um, the one that just happened in North Carolina, the I think two weeks ago, and we definitely have to be you know, in consideration of these, these rights that these people have. Article 9 also states that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person, and no one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest or detention. No one shall be deprived of his liberty except on such grounds and in accordance with such procedure as, is, as established by law. And this is definitely important because if people aren't feeling secure and safe in their own neighborhoods, communities, and even their homes, how are we saying that our constitution and our politicians are really protecting our our citizens and it's really it's it's scary for for those who are in the type of demographic that this problem and this human rights issue is really affecting and we'll get more into that a little bit later on and article 6 also talks about every human being has the inherent right to life and this right shall be protected by law no one shall be arbitrarily deprived of his life. But if we think about all the people who have died this past year, who've already died just in the year of 2019, they, they're being stripped of their, their right to life. And our, our country and our government really needs to learn how to protect that since that's a human rights issue. And especially in this you know context of the UN and how this covenant was written in regards to these these rights, so it's definitely important for us to note that too. And according to AmnestyUSA.org, um, among the high-income countries in this world, the U.S. accounts for 80% of all firearm deaths, 86% of women killed by guns, and 87% of children up to the age of 14 killed by guns. So the lack of legislation to fix this man-made problem strips people of their rights to live freely and safely. And so that's definitely the, the human rights issue that Rachel and I wanted to focus on because it's definitely one of the more common violent acts in this country right now, in this day and age. Next, I'd like to speak about how gun violence and gun control is relevant for social workers, how it connects to the NASW Code of Ethics, the IFSW Code of Ethics, and the UN Manual for Human Rights and Social Work. So gun violence is, is relevant for social workers because it's affecting people across the entire country. And according to the Gun Violence Archive, the statistics for 2019 so far are 18,825 incidents of gun violence and 4,933 deaths due to gun violence. So this is really large numbers considering that we're only in mid-May right now. And it's definitely important for social workers to recognize that gun violence is affecting a lot of the populations that we are working with and who we will be working with in the future since this issue is becoming more broad than it was in the last couple of years. 
According to the NASW Code of Ethics, social workers work to pursue change and advocate on behalf of those who are vulnerable and oppressed, which includes the populations affected by gun violence in this country. And social workers ensure people's rights to services and resources. So we really work to protect the so, like social justice and promote that across the country. And it's definitely helpful because we are the ones to pursue that change and advocate for our clients and for the needs of our communities and how we want them to make sure that these people are protected and they're safe um, and that if they, them or their families are affected by gun violence, that they know what resources and services they have so they can get help and make sure that they are able to live the best lives possible. According to the NASW, social workers also recognize the importance of human relationships and they acknowledge that human relationships are an agent of change and they seek to strengthen relationships to enhance the well-being of individuals, families, and communities. And I think this is really important for social workers because these relationships are what will help this this issue of gun violence and just violence in general decrease because people will be able to communicate effectively in their families, in their homes, in their communities, and it will really enhance that well-being of everybody. So if we all advocate for, you know, stricter gun control laws and background checks, then we will be able to enhance that that well-being and that quality of life for these individuals and families, and so their communities are not as affected by gun violence. Gun violence connects to the International Federation of Social Workers Code of Ethics because that really works towards challenging discrimination and oppression, and it relates to how social workers should engage all people in this country and in their local communities on issues regarding discrimination and oppression of people who are affected by gun violence daily. So with social workers really advocating and working with their local communities, they are should be able to educate local community members and legislators and policymakers about why gun violence really relates to discrimination and oppression and really trying to eradicate that that issue in this country and especially starting in the local communities and how that will make an impact on the rest of our country at hand. And so it's important to, to realize that internationally, these social workers are working to challenge that discrimination and oppression, but we really have to focus on this in our local communities to make sure that gun violence and gun control is something that can be prevented in the future for the protection of our children, future children, and generations. The IFSW Code of Ethics also states that social workers challenge unjust policies and practices. And so this really just, you know, describes the social workers must challenge policymakers where policies undermine human rights. And I really connected this to gun control policies in the United States. So these, our social work um, colleagues and the social work students really need to find their voice to advocate for people who may not have their own um, to be able to go and speak out against this issue. And it's definitely important to, to note that we have to challenge these policymakers um, because these the human rights are being violated when it comes to gun control and gun safety, and we have to protect our local citizens.
So for the last portion of this section, I'd like to talk about how the how gun violence really relates to the UN Manual for Human Rights and Social Work. So the concern for human rights must be manifested by all social workers. So this really, when I read it, really showed to me that social workers have to know how to really advocate for the issues that are close to their hearts. And as a future school social worker, I know that gun violence and gun control is something that will be close to mind because I would like to keep every children and child that I work with safe because it's so, gun violence is such a prevalent thing in schools now and of how, how scary that is for parents and for school, you know, staff and administrators. And the denial of human rights and fundamental freedoms leads to conditions of political unrest, leading to violence within societies and nations. And this part of of the UN Manual for Human Rights was interesting to me because it made me really connect that the denial of human rights is is the gun violence and lack of background checks and gun laws in this country. And that the fundamental freedoms are... are citizens' right to their lives, and that leads to conditions of political unrest, as in March for Our Lives and all of the issues that are going on with gun violence in our country right now, and that leads to violence within societies and nations, and it's the gun violence in our country right now is increasing. It's on the incline, and it's within the whole nation. It's within societies, and it's definitely something that needs to be addressed by local legislators and community members and leaders just so we can try to eradicate this problem as as quickly as we possibly can. This also relates to how gun violence is stripping away the rights of people and their communities to live freely without the fear of harm and violence, which was another section of this manual that I thought was important. So it's definitely interesting because violence daily and especially in particular to guns is really stripping away people's rights to live freely and safely and feel as if they belong in their communities without the fear of harm and violence and that's definitely something that's affecting people and I I know people from certain areas of this country who are scared to walk alone at night on especially if they're a certain race and feel as though they need to stay put just so they protect themselves. So it's definitely important. So this is an issue that has a lot of different causes and different uh, systems that interplay with it. So just to provide a little bit of context, uh, some demographic context. So gun violence disproportionately impacts black men. Um, as opposed to uh, white individuals and women. So in 2014, homicide was the leading cause of death for black boys and men ages 15 to 34, and the second leading cause of death for Hispanic boys and men of those ages. So clearly there's an issue here with um, men, and specifically men of color, um, being targeted and being victim to this kind of violence. So there are also more homicides from guns in cities, the firearm-related homicide rate in large metro areas is about 50% higher than the rate nationwide. So in terms of political context, gun violence is an extremely political issue. We've seen it in the news, we've seen it in Congress, and it's definitely an issue that sparks a lot of debate throughout the two parties. So 
Specifically, the NRA, the National Rifle Association, has significant influence on politics, and to do so, they are providing politicians with large campaign donations in exchange for policy influence. So essentially, the NRA has a rating system for politicians that is a letter grade system. They rank each politician with a different grade, and you get a better grade when you are more in favor of policies that are in favor of guns and not in favor of gun control. And these letter grades dictate how much money and how much support you'll get from the NRA. Senator Rubio, can you tell me right now that you will not accept a single donation from the NRA in the future? So there are actually only six Republicans in Congress that do not receive NRA support. And by the numbers, uh, the career contribution from gun rights lobbies total $12 million, while gun control lobbies totals only 570000 So clearly there's a lot more support in terms of fi finances for gun rights than for gun control. And that has a lot to do with the uh, policies that pass and the policies that don't pass in Congress regarding guns. So as I just stated, gun rights are a very large debate in society today, and um, just as Congress differs in their personal opinions on the topic, Americans differ themselves greatly on gun rights and gun control. So uh, some statistics to provide some context, 3 in 10 American adults say they personally own a gun, and an additional 11% say that they live with someone who does. A majority of Americans say gun laws should be stricter, nearly 6 in 10 U.S. adults say gun laws should be more strict, while smaller shares say they are about right or should be less strict. And finally, around three-quarters of Republicans say it's more important to protect the rights of Americans to own guns than it is to control gun ownership. So these Republicans are choosing the right, uh, the Second Amendment right to bear arms over the right of what we are kind of discussing, uh, being a human right to be safe and secure. Um, and to control guns in a way that is logical for the safety of citizens. In terms of economics, the gun industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. There's a, really a lot of money to be made in this industry. So by the numbers, gun stores had revenue of about $11 billion in 2018, and gun and ammunition manufacturers had revenue of $17 billion. So more than that, there is even more money spent for protection against gun violence. So the security alarm businesses alone bring in $25 billion a year. There are 1.1 million security guards employed in the United States. And the Washington Post estimated that schools are spending $2.7 billion a year on security measures, as well as the government spending over $65 billion per year on domestic homeland security from 2002 to 2017. So clearly in this issue, uh, there's a lot of money that's being made by those who manufacture guns. There are also, there's also a lot of money being made by people whose business it is to protect Americans. Um, and more so than that, there's a lot of money that's being invested into medical care for those who are victims of gun violence. So um, 
the total gun violence cost to the American economy is at least $229 billion every year, including $8.6 billion in direct expenses, such as for emergency and medical care. So by the person, this costs Americans individually $700 every year, which is more than the total economic cost of obesity and almost as much as the annual price tag for the entire Medicaid program. So clearly this is an issue that is sometimes overlooked in terms of a public health issue, but it definitely is considered a gleaming public health issue in the United States today. So though the UNDHR nor any of the covenants specifically address the issue of gun violence and gun control, um, there are links to the campaign and to the issue that Ruby discussed before relating to the right to life and the right to security of person. But the UN does have a few policies that they've created in relation to firearms for um, international relations. So the first one being the UN Small Arms Program of Action. So this outlines commitments in relation to firearms, and it involves regulating small arms transfers and brokering activities, criminalizing the illegal manufacture, possession, stockpiling, and trade of small arms and light weapons, ensuring that weapons be marked and registered, enforcing arms embargoes, destroying surplus and confiscated weapons, raising public awareness, and implementing disarmament demobilization and reintegration programs. So this was um, implemented in 2001. So the next policy that has been put in place by the United Nations is the protocol against the illicit manufacturing of and trafficking in firearms, their parts and components and ammunition, which can be called the firearms protocol for short. This protocol has not yet been signed by the United States, but it is meant to eliminate firearm trafficking transnationally. So the firearms protocol provides for a framework for states to control and regulate illicit arms and arms flows, prevent their diversion into the illegal circuit, facilitate the investigation and prosecution of related offenses without hampering legitimate transfers. Parties are supposed to undertake to adopt and implement the strongest possible legislation consistent with their national legal system to prevent, investigate, and prosecute the offenses stemming into the illicit manufacturing of the trafficking of firearms. So this one largely relates to the illicit sale transnationally of firearms. And once again, it has not been signed by the U.S. So the next policy, and the final policy, is one that's a decently hot topic right now as there are have been some aspects of this in the news relating to the United States. So this is the UN Arms Trade Treaty. The treaty aims to reduce human suffering caused by illegal and irresponsible arms transfers, improve regional security and stability, as well as to promote accountability and transparency by state parties concerning transfers of conventional arms. So. The Arms Trade Treaty requires all state parties to adopt basic regulations and approval processes for the flow of weapons across international borders, establishes common international standards that must be met before arms or exports are authorized, and requires annual reporting of imports and exports to a treaty secretariat. 
some specific things that it requires. It requires that states establish and maintain a national control system, including a national control list. It requires that states assess the potential that arms exported would contribute to undermine peace and security. So this document recently has come into the news because the Trump administration a few weeks ago on April 29th announced that the U.S. will be dropping out of the treaty that was signed during the Obama administration, essentially unsigning the treaty, as President Trump said at the conference. So President Trump claimed that the treaty harms the U.S. and its gun owners and that existing national laws were not only sufficient but in his words, the gold standards of gun regulation. However, the ATT does not place restrictions on the types of quantities of arms that may be bought, sold, or possessed by states, and it does not impact a domestic gun control law or firearm ownership policies. But to provide more context to the situation, this is a document that the NRA has been going after for years and it seems to be a political move on the part of the Trump campaign to pull out of it. So in any campaign, there's going to be some cultural challenges that come up and that occur. And in this specific campaign, the issue at hand is regarding the frustration from minority groups regarding who is represented in the movement. So as I've stated before, and as we've kind of touched on throughout this podcast, gun violence is something that largely impacts people of color and specifically men of color. Um, And that's not really reflected by the movement as it stands and as it began to pick up traction in the media last year. So people of color feel that they have been speaking out for years regarding this issue and how it impacts their communities and their lives, but feel like they haven't been heard and that people only really began to pay attention when the issue started affecting white individuals as the Parkland shooting was a group of well-off white students that were the ones that were largely affected. And on top of that, the five students who were propelled to the front of the campaign um, in its early stages last year were all white except for Emma Gonzalez, who identifies as Cuban. So that really demonstrates a lack of representation for those who have been impacted by the issue for decades and decades, who have been attempting to speak out about it for decades as well, and who have not had their voices heard and who have felt like their struggles do not matter. So this has served to invalidate the experiences of people of color and the majority of violent acts that involve guns are not school shootings, yet that is the only time that people had seemed to care. And when hundreds of black men are being shot each day, it seems that society doesn't bat an eye. So clearly this is a large and complicated issue um, that has reared its head in the past year and has reared its head throughout history in terms of people being underrepresented. So to combat this, it's important to recognize the issue itself um, and speak out about it regarding the underrepresentation of people of color and to give them voice because they have been silenced for so long. So at rallies and marches, speakers should be including those who have been affected by different forms of gun violence, not just those in school shootings, and should include people of different cultural and ethnic backgrounds to provide a full perspective and to give 
the people who are most affected a voice in the matter. So to wrap up, March for Our Lives is something that we can expect to see more of in the future. It's also something that social workers should be involved in, as the right to life is a human right that is being violated by a lack of gun control laws in the United States. As social workers, it's important that we educate ourselves on this issue and become part of the change ourselves. I think this past year, it's been really amazing to see the youth and their ability to stand up in this movement and how the rest of society in the United States has stood up with them to say that enough is enough. And it is really us as citizens who have the power to change this issue because stronger than any gun lobby, any lobby at all, is the power of our voices and the power of our votes. So it's time to let politicians know that if they don't change their stance on gun control, their seats in Congress will not be safe. So to end, in the words of Emma Gonzalez, if you actively do nothing, people continually end up dead. So it's time to start doing something.